Before I begin today, again, I would like to just say a few words. I, I am so excited for you to listen to this upcoming interview with Jeffrey Olson. It's got to be one of the most profound interviews I have ever had. And I, I was honored to spend time with Jeff and Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll, who, who I interviewed previously, and, and you'll hear about a little bit in this interview. And these two men have a huge message to tell you. They are also some of the most honest, loving, compassionate, caring people I have ever met. And I think in this time of, of turmoil um, today, we can learn a lot from these messages. So just please sit down, listen really carefully, know that this is all very true and just keep your keep your heart open and your curiosity thank you welcome to interviews with innocence a podcast about spirituality consciousness and exploring the wisdom our children bring into this world i believe that our very young children are our greatest teachers after all, they're the masters of living in the present moment, bubbling in unconditional love, enjoying the messiness of life, and curious about the universe in all its dimensions. The pure essence that young children exhibit lives within all of us. My hope is that these interviews will help us discover, embrace, and connect with the sacred core of childhood that resides within each of our hearts. I am your host, Marla Hughes. Today, I am delighted to have Jeffrey Olson on the show. In 1977, Jeffrey experienced a horrific automobile accident that took the lives of both his wife and youngest son. He suffered multiple life-threatening injuries himself, including the amputation of his left leg above the knee. As a result of the accident, Jeff had profound out-of-body, sheer death, and near-death experiences that gave him spiritual insight not common in today's world. He met his wife during his NDE when she told him that he could not stay with her, but had to go back and take care of their other son. His NDE gave him a glimpse of eternity and he was forever changed. He is now remarried and he and his wife have two adopted sons. His passion is found in recognizing the oneness and divinity in all of us. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Oh, thank you, Marla. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, it's so good to see you again. I was so excited to meet you and Dr. Jeff O'Driscoll at the IONS conference. And yeah, now yeah. it's an honor now to be able to, to be able to interview you. So let's, um, I know a lot of people have heard your story about your in, um, near-death experience and the accident. So why don't you just tell us briefly about what, what happened? Alrighty. Well, the, the accident was actually in 1997. It's oh, I'm been, sorry. In, uh, I guess it wouldn't be 77, would it? Well, it's been, it's been, I was alive in 77. <laughs> yes, 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 me too. <laughs> I, was, I was in the sixth grade in Mrs. Crawford's uh, Morningside Elementary School. But, <laughs> but, uh, but no, yeah, 1997, and I was 33 at the time of the accident. Uh, so it's been, it's been 22, almost 23 years ago. So I can speak of it now openly. I couldn't speak about it for a decade without just falling yeah. apart. Um, it was an automobile accident. 
and uh, it was a single car rollover. And um, that's one of the difficult things is there was reports of crosswinds. There was reports of a pickup truck driving erratically on the interstate. But to my best recollection, I may have just dozed off briefly, just when you nod off. Right. And I overcorrected um, and lost control of the car, which caused it to roll. Not... Um, not off the road, but down the road. And I had the cruise control set at 75 uh, miles per hour. So it was, it was a horrific accident and it's still difficult to talk about it. You don't, you know, you never get over it. You get yeah. used to it, but it, it took me a decade before I could speak openly about it and, and talk about any details. Um, when the car crashed, I, I did black out for most of that accident. I realized I had lost control of the car Everything seemed to happen so quickly, and yet in slow motion at the same time, I blacked out until the car came to a halt, to a stop, and the first thing I heard was my son, who was seven, year old, uh, seven years old, in the back seat uh, crying. It was my wife, myself, and both of our boys. Uh, Spencer is my oldest boy. He was seven. Griffin was our youngest, and he was just a toddler, just 14 months. But when we crashed and I heard Spencer crying, my first thought was, I've got to get to him. I've got to get to my boy. Yeah. And that's when I realized I couldn't move. I was pinned. I, I couldn't breathe. I was in pain. I couldn't even tell whether I was on the seat or the floorboard. Mm -hmm. um, and I had no idea of my injuries. What, what actually had happened is that both of my legs had been crushed and badly uh, damaged. My, my left leg was eventually amputated above the knee. Uh, my back had been damaged. My rib cage had been damaged. My lungs were collapsing. My right arm had almost been pulled off and then the seatbelt had cut through me, uh, rupturing all my insides. I, I wasn't aware of my injuries. All I knew is I had to get to my son who was crying, but I couldn't move. And yet it was in that brutal moment that I realized no one else was crying. And, um, and I knew at the scene before I lost consciousness that, um, that both Tamara, my wife, and Griffin, my youngest son, were, were gone. They, they were killed instantly in the accident. And I don't share that to be graphic or morbid, but to just set the scene. I mean, here I am, half the family's gone. I've got a hysterical seven-year-old. I'm losing consciousness, so to speak. That's an interesting term, consciousness, because as I began to black out, and it was very strange because in that darkness, it's like everything became calm. Suddenly things became calm, and it felt as if light came to me, like light rushed to me and embraced me and, and was almost comforting me in this darkest, darkest moment of my life. And I did seem to rise above the scene of the accident. And, and quite honestly, I was thinking, what, what happened? How, am I okay? How could I be okay? Am, am I okay? Because it was such a shift from the trauma that I was in. There was no pain. I could breathe. Um, I had seemed to have been delivered from this accident, and it was a little bit confusing. And um, as you outlined, as I, as I felt all that and became aware that, wow, I'm, I'm really okay, uh, Tamara, my wife, who I knew was deceased at the scene, there she was with me in that light. And she was communicating at this point 
quite verbally saying, you can't, no, Jeff, you've got to go, you've got to go, you can't come, you've got to go back. And um, that was, that was uh, you know, I could write chapters on what that was like, knowing I was saying goodbye, and yet still being a little bit confused about what was going on. Uh, the interesting thing is she was emotional and maybe this was because we were this way in life. She was the emotional one and I was comforting her that it was going to be okay. And I learned a great deal about choice in those moments because there I was looking at the woman I loved more than life. But I also knew I had a seven-year-old son in the backseat of the car and, you know, the nature of his crying uh, as a father, I knew he was okay. And, and, and he was, he, he basically, he was banged up a little bit, but he basically walked away from the accident, even though, quite honestly, all three of us had passed. I had left my body and was in this strange realm of light, having this conversation with my wife, his mother, about how I needed to come back to raise our son, um, because if I left or stayed there, he would be orphaned. Right. And uh, it was very, very poignant. And when you talk about you learned a lot about choice, can you expand on that a bit? Yeah. I mean, that the, the interesting thing being out of the body. I mean, it's like everything yeah. was so clear and, and so cosmic. I, I, as I'm looking at her and she's saying, you've got to go back. It's almost like there was this knowing, almost like the, the title of the book, knowing, okay, I have a choice. Everything in the universe is a choice. What mm -hmm. am I going to do? And it, it, I had further experiences that even emphasized that. But, but yeah, I felt as if I was at choice, but it's almost like my higher self, my, my soul knew I am going back. I, I am to go back and, and raise our son and, and go back to life. Right. And I know you talk in your book about the download that you received um, while you were, I'll say, on the other side, just how it transformed you. Can you tell us a little bit? My, my listeners, they aren't, um, a lot of them haven't heard very many stories about NDEs. I'm sure usually that <laughs> you're, the yeah. people you talk to have had many. So can you tell well, us a little bit about it, that? It, it was profound. And, and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just pick up where we left off because here's right. where it really got interesting. So all of a sudden, yes, I'm out of the body. I'm communicating with my wife who was gorgeous. Now, and I, again, I don't share this to be graphic in the accident. She was sleeping. She had reclined her seat back. And because she had reclined her seat back, that seatbelt had not restrained her properly. And it was, it was, it was head trauma that took her life. But in this experience, and, and I knew that at the scene, I'm like, I mean, I can't explain the hell that was like to be there but in this experience in the light as i left and she was there saying you've got to go back she was absolutely gorgeous she was beautiful she was more yeah. radiant than she'd ever been wow and and this choice looking at her and thinking gosh i can stay here and i'm okay or i can go back and choosing to come back and it was the coming back that was so interesting now i have no concept of time in this light what had happened is that People had arrived at the scene of the accident. One was a doctor. I'd been extricated from the car. I had been life flighted to a level one trauma center. I had no idea about any of that. All I knew was I'd crashed the car. I'd left my body. I had this most profound goodbye, I'll ever say. And as soon as I thought, I'm going back, 
I didn't have to figure out how I didn't have to think about what to do. It was like a, it was like a swoosh, you know, and I was suddenly in this hospital, moving about the hospital, seeing the doctors and the patients and the families of the patients and the nurses. And when I say seeing them, I was absolutely connected to everyone and everything around me. I, um, gosh, I, I knew, I knew their lives like it was my own. I knew their love and their hate and their joy and their trials and their challenges and their motivations as if it was my own. I felt this absolute oneness, as I call it, this connection to everything and, um, and and specifically every one, the people, um, Mm -hmm. gosh, I would see them and I would have, I had, I had this absolute love this absolute knowing, no judgment, no comparison. And it didn't matter who they were, you know, everyone from the heroin addict to the saintly grandmother, I felt, um, gosh, like they were me. In fact, it's funny. I grew up in a, in a conservative Christian home and we read, you know, Bible verse and I, I still do that. But this verse came to mind as I was having this incredibly connected experience. And it was the famous verse that says, in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, which I used to think was a really nice verse about being nice. Right. But I was experiencing this oneness where I realized I am them and they are me. We're absolutely connected. In other words, I I had this whole new epiphany. Oh, what Jesus was talking about was I am the beggar on the street. I am the person in prison. I am the hungry child. I'm all of it. And that's what I was experiencing is I am all of it. And it was this deeper, profound look into what I thought I believed, but a knowing of what is and realizing that we're all connected. Wow. And I know you also talk about how on you were downloaded with so much knowledge that you knew on like a cosmic level that your soul had, had planned all of this. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that came even later. Uh, I mean, the, the hospital was horrific because I was having this, you know, this incredibly connected experience. I came up on a body or a man that I didn't recognize. Um, Actually my body was so swollen that uh, my family didn't even recognize me when they brought me in. They'd been notified that I was being life flighted in. And my brother, who's only a year younger than me, um, he said that I, he did not recognize my body. He, he said, it, you looked like the Michelin man. He said, it looked like somebody taking a baseball bat and just beat the hell out of every inch of your body. Wow. So wow. I was in quite a state. And I, I, I witnessed that. I looked at my body and I thought, oh, my gosh. And yet I stepped forward because it was strange. I wasn't feeling anything from that being, you know, laying there. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, that's me. But it wasn't me. I, I was having this incredible connected experience, but, but that was my body. And I knew I was yeah. to get back in it. And, and again, it was the intention, the thought. We, we have no idea how powerful our thoughts are. When I thought I'm going back in, boom, I was back in the body, but then back to the trauma, the guilt, the regret, the pain, the, the, the grief, the, you know, all of it. And I was, you know, I was ventilated. They had a big tube down my throat doing the breathing for me. My legs were immobile. My right arm was immobile. They eventually tied down my left arm because I kept grabbing at all the medical equipment. And the hospital was, well, it was, it was a very um, horrible experience. And yet 
I learned a lot, you know, I mean, yeah. I was in there for over five months. There was 18 mm -hmm. surgeries in total before they could put me back together. And, and what you mentioned was, which was the, I, I, I felt like I had one foot in this realm and one foot in the other, right. and, you know, Dr. O'Driscoll teases me because he says, yeah, the foot that was in the other realm is the one we cut off, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can laugh about that now, but yeah, now, but I did have, you know, strange, you know, um, experiences, but the most powerful was at the end of my hospital stay. And I, I think it's interesting to note that my most powerful near death or out of body experiences were at the scene of the accident, you know, before I had narcotics or morphine. Right, right. And at the end of my hospital stay, when I was out of ICU, I was through surgical recovery and I was in the rehabilitation unit simply taking some Tylenol. So, you know, these were not you know, narcotic induced, you know, hallucinations. But I, um, I was in the rehabilitation wing and I went to sleep one night. And, it, I, and when I say went to sleep, they had finally stabilized my abdomen where the seatbelt had ripped everything open and there was horrible infections. And they had finally stabilized that to the point that I could lay on my side and I naturally sleep on my side. And so it was beautiful to lay on my side. And I remember falling asleep. In fact, my younger brother was there at the hospital and he was teasing me because I'd laid on my back so long. I'd rubbed all the hair off the back of my head <laughs> and he was giving me a bad time because he was receding in the front. He, yeah. Hey, you're going to fall in the back. Um, anyway, I, but that, that's how long I had laid on my back and I was finally able to sleep on my side, which I fell into a deep, beautiful sleep. And I remember even thinking, wow, I haven't slept for months. I mean, I've been in the hospital, but this was a natural, peaceful sleep. And yet, once again, that light came. I felt that light rush to me. And I thought, oh, this, I remember this. This is like the accident. And I felt like I was rising above the hospital bed, same type of sensation. But this time, the light, like, seemed to dispense it seemed to like go away like when fog you know goes off a lake and, and there right. was this clarity there was this absolute clarity and i was in the most beautiful place it was just you know people say heaven or the other side the only word i can put on it is i was home i was home it was so welcoming i and and the odd thing, I, I can't stress how physical it felt. I, 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 was, I, I was so joyful to be home, and I actually began to run. I, I had been an athlete in my life, and I wouldn't be running in this realm, but in that realm, I was running, and I could feel everything. I could feel the ground under my feet. I could feel the energy surging up through my legs, and I was even marveling. This feels so physical, you know. Right. I could smell and touch, and everything felt so sensual. And I was running, just joyfully, thinking, "I'm home." But that's when I got the the knowing or the message that I wasn't there to stay. And at that same time, there was this corridor off to my left, and I just knew intuitively I'm to go that way. And and I did. I, I went down the corridor. And I'm going to go back a bit to the accident scene at this point. Griffin, my little toddler who passed at the scene, uh, what had happened to him, and the reason I knew at the scene that he was gone is his car seat had broken up, and he had been ejected from the car. Um, I mean, at the scene of the accident, just like, where's, where's my little boy, you know? Yeah. And... and um, yeah, that had haunted me. And yet, even at the scene, as I was asking that 
deep guttural question, where's my little boy? It's almost like spirit said, he's gone. He's gone. And I knew, um, but I had had no interaction with him. I mean, where Tamara had been with me and had told me to go back and I'd had interesting interactions with her during my hospital stay. I'd had no interactions with him. But as I headed down this corridor, I began to see at the end of the corridor was a crib. And he had been sleeping in a crib, just being a toddler, even at the time of the accident. And I raced to the crib, and there he was. And he was sleeping as peacefully as could be. And I just, I mean, as a father, I, I swept him up. I oh, held him, and, it was, and that was my, I mean, have you ever picked up a sleeping child? Many times. Okay, well, yes. this, this was the experience. When I say it was so physical, I could feel the weight of him, the heat of him. I, I felt his body against mine, solid. I could feel his breath on my neck. I mean, these, oh were, these were the strange things. I thought, he's breathing. And I, and as a parent or grandparent or, you know, anyone who's been around children, I don't care if you're an uncle or an aunt or a cousin, Yeah. I, I reached over and I smelled his hair. And, and, yeah. and that's when I knew it's him. It's really him. And I began to weep. I began to cry. And um, as I held him, this is, I felt this presence behind me, this overwhelming, cosmic, powerful, wise presence, which, you know, in my upbringing, I thought, oh, that's God. I'm, I'm in God's presence. I'm holding my little boy. And, and the guilt began to come up again. I was feeling like I, he's here because I crashed the car. He, his life was cut short because I messed up and, and, and lost control of the car. And, you know, and so there was these overwhelming feelings of regret and guilt as I held him just weeping, loving my little boy. And this, this presence was coming closer and closer. And it almost felt physical, too, because as I felt it coming so close and I didn't dare turn around, it was this fear of God, you know, and, and I was having these guilty emotions about the wreck and what had happened. And I, I remembered thinking in my mind, I hope there's some way I can be forgiven. And, and at that moment when I had that thought, and this almost felt physical too, it's like these loving arms just wrapped around us. And the cosmic download was there's nothing to forgive. Everything in your life is in absolute divine order. Everything in everyone's life is in absolute divine order. And I began to have what they call the life review. I began to see my life before my eyes as they Wow. I was seeing it in a, such a way. And I, and I kept saying, well, but that was a mistake. And yeah, that was wrong, but I did it anyway. And, and this beautiful being was communicating to me in such a download and such a I don't know a overwhelming I wasn't just hearing it I was feeling it through my whole body but what I was told is that's your judgment of your life not ours right we I absolutely you. yeah we absolutely love you and that the, the, the ironic thing is here I am holding my little son who's perfect to me who's so beloved who's so and I was feeling that in a magnified way where God was saying, that's how we feel about you and, and everyone else. I mean, there's, wow. no, there's no judgments. There's no comparisons. You're absolutely perfect in your uniqueness. All the things you judge are the perfect span of your life because that's how you're learning and growing. Just like little Griffin, your son, was learning to walk and talk. We celebrate all of our children saying, look at them. 
they're so unique and they're learning to walk. And so, yeah, I, I, um, I, and, and it was laid out to me, this is a long answer to your question, that, that I, I, you know, that I had created my life. I mean, this was being communicated to me in such a way where I was told you can be mad at God, you know, and, and think that, that, that some cosmic force took your family away, or you can beat yourself up for the rest of your life because you were driving the car. But quite honestly, my dear beloved son, you, you created it. We just loved you enough to support it, you and all the players in it. Tamara and Griffin who left and Spencer who stuck around, everybody was playing out the perfect cosmic path for your soul to, to get what your soul wanted to get in this mortal experience. And you created it together. You had contracts right. and plans and we loved you so unconditionally. We supported it that your soul might get what you came to, to experience. And I was, I just thought this is so crazy. And in fact, I learned about choice in those arms too, because I was told there was another choice that I could choose to give my son back. And even Tamara, if, if, if you will, that I could exercise my will and give them back. And, and in this, you know, in my, my Christian upbringing, I thought, Oh no, God, it's your will be done. I, I was asking this. I'm like, but it's right. your will be done. And this beautiful being loving said, well, my will is your will. What do you want? And I, I wanted peace. I wanted, I, and in all that love and in all that beauty, I was able to kiss my little boy and, um, and I gave him back. I handed yeah. him over. And, and then I woke back up into the hospital bed and into, you know, the trauma of the accident and having to go home. And I was in a wheelchair and my right leg was in a brace and my right arm was in a sling. And, I only had one working left, you know, left arm and they were attempting to teach me how to drive a, an electric wheelchair. And anyway, I was back into this realm, which was different. Right. Which brings about the beautiful story of Spencer greeting you when you got oh, home. Gosh. Yeah, what a, what a beautiful soul. Now, at the time, he was only seven, as I mentioned, and he had been staying with my brother and his wife. They took him in like one of their own. I can't, my family was so incredible. Um, that's what I still cry about is how much love, you know, I don't know what people do who have to go through things like this by themselves, but my family was great. My son had been staying with him. He had come and seen me in the hospital when they stabilized me and, and that was fine. But I was so worried about how he was going to accept me. I mean, I, yeah. I'd been a rough and tumble dad that could throw him in the air and do the foot races and now I was in a wheelchair with one working arm and, and one leg that doesn't work that well, you know, right. but, um, but they, you know, they brought me home and, and it wasn't really home. I was going to my brother's house. I, I continued to have home health and actually went back into the ER, the ER after this with a kink bowel and I had blood clots, you know, pulmonary emboli that lodged in the lungs. Oh. There was all kinds of issues, but I, uh, I was going home as you as it were to my brother's house where spencer was staying and um gosh my brothers came to get me from the hospital the two of them i have an older brother and a younger brother i'm stuck in the middle and they would literally have to lift me up and put me in my wheelchair i couldn't transfer you know with one working arm and right. legs and arms and braces and they were taking me home and i was so concerned all the way home about what 
is Spencer going to think? How can he handle me like this? We're going to have to go to the grocery store and I'm going to take him to school and I look like a freak, you know, and I'm missing a leg. And I was just incredibly concerned about him. And as we got home and my brothers pulled in the driveway, I could see him looking out the window, you know, and of course I was excited to see him, but I thought, how's he going to do this? And I, I was aware of him watching as his uncles, you know, my brothers lifted me out of the car and put me in the chair and, and, uh, you know, my brothers were great because they're like, you got to do it, drive up. They'd build a ramp so I could get in the house. They're like, you've got to drive it. They were so good about getting, you know, it's like when you get bucked off the horse, you get back on. Yeah. And so I began to navigate the, the electric wheelchair up to the ramp and Spencer came running out of the house. And I, I just thought, how is he going to accept me? And he ran toward me, but then he ran right past me. And I just thought, I knew this was going to be hard. Uh, I knew this, I mean, to see me like this on his turf, you know, not in the hospital bed is going to be tough. And so I continued to navigate and steer the cart, you know, the wheelchair to turn it up the ramp. And I just looked over my shoulder to see where Spencer was. And you can imagine this little seven-year-old boy and he's knocking on all the neighbor's doors and he's saying, come out, come out. My dad has made it home. Um, I I, I still tear up because I just thought, oh my gosh, he's out there bragging about me. I'm here holding myself as this cripple, you know, I mean, and and then he did run toward me. And there's a specific reason for sharing this because he then ran toward me before I got up the ramp and into the house. And he threw himself on my lap, which just about killed me because I still had all the features of the abdominal operations and he threw his arms around me and I was beginning to explain to him this won't be forever but it's going to be for a while he was a Star Wars nut so I'm like they're going to get me a really cool Darth Vader leg they're going to teach me how to walk but are you going to be able to handle this because I'm going to be like this for a while and he he we still laugh about it he's all grown up now he's married he's six foot two and you know all grown up but he he said to me in that instant he said dad If you were nothing but a puddle of blood, I would still love you. <laughs> we, he said that at seven years old? He said that at seven years old. If you were nothing but a puddle of blood, I would still love you. And so I begin to weep, and I'm holding him in my lap. And the reason I share this is because holding my son, who was in this realm, in a wheelchair, you know, I'm in the wheelchair and I'm holding him, Suddenly, that became no less profound than holding my son who had passed in the heavenly realms. I mean, suddenly, heaven was right here. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do or become. It was simply to be in that moment and feel the unconditional love of my little boy, which was every bit as powerful as the unconditional love of the great creator, in my opinion. And so it was this huge epiphany that maybe heaven's right here. Maybe right. go or nothing to wish for, but to literally embrace life as if it is heaven and every moment as if it is sacred and a gift. And um, you say, I have a quote here that's so, so beautiful. I've learned that true joy comes through the simple things in life. Feeling the laughter of my sons, buying a $12 hummingbird feeder and watching birds gather to it. Looking for happiness in big things usually leaves me empty while embracing life's beautiful little miracles fills my heart with joy and gratitude. Well, I love that from your book, Knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I know that you began to really see the world differently. And so I'd like to talk, talk about that a little bit because I know you had mentioned in a previous interview I listened to that you talked a little about being a little bit judgmental before and, yeah. and after this awakening um, that you just began to see the world differently. And so can you, can you, and also I have a quick question. When you were in that other realm, I've heard people say like it's more real than real. This just was that it was it that way for you too? Absolutely. In fact, that was it was very difficult to come back into this realm. I, I have looked at life differently, but I don't want anyone to get the misconception that I had this horrible accident and this horrible bereavement, and then I had these incredible experiences and I was okay. Yes, the wreck happened, the grief and the bereavement was horrible. Like I say, it, it took a decade, you know. Um I had maybe different perspective, but I grieved like anyone. Um, oh, it was yeah. difficult like anyone. But yeah, I, I, I have learned that life's little simple pleasures, the, the, the little things are the big things. And, and there are no little miracles. I, I've decided every sunrise is an absolute miracle. Mm -hmm. If I can be there and be present and, and realize. I, I saw a funny comic the other day on social media, and it was a man who was walking through the pearly gates and approaching, you know, this divine figure, and uh, and the divine figure says to the man, "How was your trip to heaven?" Meaning that this is it, like Earth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is as good as it gets. Uh, you know, I, I, we we probably go back up there and get bored. You know, and and, and say, hey, "Let's go put me in put me in the game, coach. Let's go do it again." You know? Right, right. But um, but yeah, different perspectives. But I grieved miserably. Um, I think had I not had those profound experiences. I, I may not have made it. I, I may, yeah. you know, I may not have made it. Yeah. Well, I, to segue just a little bit, um, you know, I think many feel like there's a transformation or awakening of consciousness in this world today. And I'd like for you to share with us about how you feel about that topic with, with now that you have a different perspective from your, from your NDE. Yeah, I, I do look at the world and, and yeah, I see all the chaos, all the, you know, all the division. I mean, it's funny, everything, you know, teaches us that we're separate. I mean, in, in, in this country, we've got Republicans, Democrats, and, you know, all this nonsense, quite honestly. Um, I believe it's, it's like a big pimple that's about to pop. You know, I really do believe there's an awakening among society among humanity a consciousness that's going to lead us to that oneness it's going to lead us to that realization that you know what i am you and you are me and if we can find common ground to stand on and and embrace our diversity embrace our differences and realize we have far more in common as as divine children of a great creator than we'll ever mm -hmm. have different and separate um, and, and it feels like we're moving that way. I, I call it the awakening to oneness. That, that nice. It's, it's, a, it's an awakening to the reality that we are. It's just that we're playing in this illusion in such a way that we don't remember. Right, right. I, I know you, you talk about empathy and the ripple effect and the importance of gratitude. Do you want to do you want to say anything about those? Well, sure. I mean, I, and here again, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years after the fact, but there was yeah. times, boy, in the hospital stay, I mean, it was like, why? Why me? Why, 
Why'd they both go? Why'd they have to cut off my leg? Why, 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 why? And it, it was a brutal, brutal thing. It was when I shifted into what? You know, what am I learning from this? What is there to gain and to learn? What is the pain teaching me? What is the grief teaching me? You know, there's, there's a beautiful poem that I, I read just, just yesterday, and I, I, I'm going to look it up. I, I typically don't read things, but I'll do this because I, I, I think this is so powerful and it's so real to me based on what I had experienced. Right. And, um, forgive me, I usually don't read, but it, oh, it, no, that's it's okay. a poem by Robert Browning Hamilton. And he says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow. And never a word said she, but all oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Wow. When sorrow walked with me. And that's, that, that's probably the story of those 10 years. It was a whole decade. I didn't talk about my near-death experience. I didn't write a book. I didn't, I, I, I worked very hard to raise my son. I worked very hard to get back to work. Um, and, and that all happened. I actually, <laughs> and I didn't work hard for this, but I fell in love again. Yeah. My current wife, Tanya, came into our lives in a, in a really interesting and profound way. I wasn't dating. I wasn't looking. And uh, gosh, I remarried. She agreed to be Spencer's mother and my wife I mean, it was the proposal was kind of funny because it wasn't like will you marry me it was like will you marry a one-legged guy with a son and be a mother you know uh, <laughs> and and tanya's the and she hero. did yeah she said yes and she's the hero of the story and we we have since adopted two more sons i don't even call them my adopted sons they're just my boys who have made it home however that looked and um it's it's been an incredible journey, but it was not free of challenges. Life is never free of challenges. No, I've decided not. that's the game. I mean, we we came, we we signed on for the full feature film. We we wanted the popcorn and the drink and the candy, but this floor might be sticky and there might be gum under the chair, and that's all part of it. We 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 must have the whole experience of duality, or we never can fully embrace reality. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, you're right. We learn these lessons and it's not, you know, you, you can't sugarcoat it. I mean, it's, it's terrible, but what I know what you talk about is how, if it hadn't have been, had not been for your near death experience, you might just be out on the street, you know, and just, and so that was part of the plan too, to give you this experience. And now you're, you're sharing. It took a long time, but no, what you know, it took a long time, and you're you're really helping the world. Okay. So, what what are the greatest? Um, we have to wrap it up here. But what are the great greatest lessons that your your children have taught you, Spencer and Zach and Aiden? Well, you know, and 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 they they've taught me and Griffin and Griffin, of course. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. He still comes. Around, I mean, I, I experienced him as that toddler, but I've had dreams where he's come as a grown, a grown young man. But I, I recognize him immediately, so he's taught me a great deal about the fact that nobody really ever dies. They live on; they're in a different realm, and they become 
our guardians and our angels. If anyone's lost loved ones, know that they are very, very near and they're cheering you on. There's no judgment from them either. They see us in perfect love and they cheer us on. Spencer has taught me compassion and unconditional love and patience. I mean, if you read knowing, you know, his, his life has been interesting too. And, and Zach and, and Aiden, uh, my younger two, they, they have taught me that everything's in divine order, no matter what it looks like. We, we've had so many challenges and yet so many joys. We've had darkness and we've had light and we've had beauty and we've had peace and we've had trouble and we've had turmoil. I mean, that's, that's what we've signed on for. I mean, right. anybody who's courageous enough to come into this realm and operate in this lower vibration, um, I, I think all the universe cheers us on and, and literally honors us for our willingness to experience pain and sorrow yeah. that we might more fully embrace joy and love and, and, and unity in the end. I so agree. Well, um, Jeff, I know you're going to come back next week, which I'm very excited about, and talk about um, your work with indigenous cultures and shamanism, which is a, is a, as you know, I'm starting a shaman apprenticeship, so it's a very special topic for me. And um, so, but we need to wrap it up right now. Um, how do people, people find you? You know, the best way to find me is on social media. I'm on okay. all the platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Look under my full name, which is Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. It's an E-R-Y. Okay. Yeah, C is my middle initial. And uh, Olson, O-L-S-E-N. You can also go to Envoy Publishing. E-N-V-O-Y publishing.com. Envoy is uh, French for messenger, and that's where you'll find videos, nice. my books. Uh, Knowing is on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and get it in ebook or digital formats, hardback, soft paperback, whatever you want. But uh, and, and it's an amazing book. book. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much. And all of this will be in the show notes. And I'll look forward to um, talking to you next week. Marla, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so okay, much. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great evening. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find us at interviewswithinnocence.com and on Facebook or Instagram at interviewswithinnocence. Please write me a message. Tell me what you liked and let me know what else you would like to hear. I would love to hear from you. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps other listeners find the show. Thank you.